Welcome to the club no one ever wanted to join. This is Refused, the unofficial podcast of Eliasm.org. Having a tough time spelling that? It's an acronym for I Live in a Sexless Marriage. Listen to stories, articles, and sometimes the dark humor experienced by those in sexless marriages here on Refused. On Eliasm.org, you'll see much wiser people than me give advice on coping with sexless marriage. And you may see my less useful posts under the name Mirror Orchid. Until then, you've suffered enough. On with the show. Vowing to stay together if one of you gets seriously ill is one of the more romantic parts of typical vows. It commits us to be more than friends. We often will not ask friends to give up large portions of their lives for our sake should illness incapacitate us to the point of hardship, suffering, or poverty. We do ask this of the person who promises, expects, and hopefully plans to be with us until they die. And why not? Not seeing things through and assisting you to get better, if you can, will substantially improve their own lives. They are one flesh with us. By healing you, they heal themselves. They may get back their travel companion, their lover, their helpmeet, their sous chef, their exercise buddy, their fellow Game of Thrones binger. The appeal of having someone ready to help us out of our sickbed or the grave is an obviously appealing prospect. The flip side is that if you end up being the healthy one, you're expected to make some sacrifices. See the love essay in the series on why sacrifice enters in so prominently. The healthy spouse fulfills the vow and can perhaps find satisfaction in having the privilege in stepping up for their side of the bargain first or reciprocating when their turn has come around. For chronic conditions, this can mutate into a long-suffering resignation in which there can be pride in one's enormous strength, preferably with a spouse capable of acknowledging our sacrifice and cherishing our effort. Yeah, another plug for the series. Part of the recognition of the healthy spouse's sacrifice may be a willingness for the sick spouse to sacrifice as well. They may need help even when the healthy spouse is unconsciously displaying signs of fatigue. They keep the stiff upper lip, but they grow weary. There may be emotional fatigue as well as physical. There may be social detriments, as every hour gets soaked up by caretaking. There is no respite, no relief. The healthy become very much like the sick spouse, never leaving the house, finding little joy in life, just waiting for a recovery or miracle, numb. The heroic, diligent, healthy spouse becomes not just something the caretaker does, but something the caretaker is. Abandonment of hobbies, interests, education, activity, social interaction removes parts of the person. All this can be seen to happen even in good conditions, working our nine-to-five, paying bills, perhaps overextending ourselves or getting slapped by a bad economy, and finding ourselves struggling and focused on very little in our lives, chiefly money. It's nose to the grindstone and no energy for anything else. Our spouse is there, conveniently by our side. Little effort needs to be made to engage in life that doesn't include a paycheck. 
it's easy to rely on that to exclude other exercises. This is the stuff of codependency, the collapse of the identity into worker, spouse, human, sometimes parent, and little more. Caring for a chronically ill spouse adds an air of nobility to this codependency. There can be appeal if you were already there. Suddenly, the homebody inertia has an air of heroism to it. You do what you always did, but now the codependency enjoys societal approval. The admiration of those that drop everything for their fallen spouse in time morphs into admiration of the stoic perseverance of the spouse who watches over their loved one for a lengthy period. It gets old. Who has not yet heard about the spouse's condition? The constant weight is well known and the kudos extended and long lasting, but the relativity of mood is expected to kick in. Sure, you're a bit down and glum. Your spouse is bedridden. You have every right. But is today better than yesterday? Tell us you're okay, knowing that okay for you isn't as happy as ours. If you're having an especially bad day, please be sure to say okay anyway, but quicker, quieter. We'll get it from your tone of voice. Actually, saying your actual feelings obligates us to care and we have our own shit to worry about. Soon enough, it'll be our turn to be stapled to our beds or tending to our spouse who's planted there instead. We hardly need to add your shit to our future steaming pile. No offense. We get the sickness part. We do. The whole existential, sorrowful beauty of it. What can get lost is the health side. The sickness part we think about is the healthy partner doing the sacrificing. So is the sick partner off the hook for the mutual sacrifices of love? They are, in most observations, the caretaker role gets taken on full-time to the exclusion of near everything. That's how it ends up, and it's an accepted endpoint for much of society. But should it be? Giving up everything is what we watch healthy partners do. They sacrifice all, and in some understandable cases, it can strain the relationship. It can promote unpleasant things. Self-pity, regret, resentment, anxiety, panic. If the sacrifice is all on one side, it's not so much a relationship designed for mutual benefit as a bet lost by both. One fell ill, now both partners are sick, or at least they act that way. Both are housebound, see no one, keep to themselves, don't burden others. They are united as one flesh in all its fragility. Does misery love company so well? Is this picture of devolution what we should expect? What we should aspire to? What we should glorify? We glorify good things, but perhaps might we heed the Greek poet Hesiod when he said, Observe due measure. Moderation is best in all things. Is this sacrifice included? Should the healthy spouse stop tending to their sick partner? Likely not. Stopping entirely wouldn't be moderation, now would it? But nor would caretaking without end. 
This suggests that the optimal course is devotion with breaks, but what schedule is to be kept and how lengthy the breaks must be decided. How often the caretaking spouse should look after themselves and return refreshed must be balanced with the needs of the sick partner, and it is possible, perhaps probable, that only the sick partner will know what those needs are much of the time. It stands to reason that the sick partner would do well to be mindful of the needs of a healthy spouse, lest their behavior mimic that of someone sick. What constitutes need of the sick partner? What might be relegated to a want? And which duty a whim? When a spouse promises to love their spouse until death, the love essay, if it is to be believed, calls upon the sick partner to engage in sacrifice just as it does the healthy spouse. They are called upon to do without their doting spouse's company that they may engage in the life of a healthy person and remain healthy that way. The sick spouse can care for their healthy spouse in return, watching their mood, sensing their fatigue, recognizing their strain, and finding the strength to tell their beloved, go, I'll be fine. Some caretaking healthy spouses may find their sick partner is not in a state of mind where they think to look after their healthy spouse's well-being and reciprocate the caring. This is a point at which self-love may have to come into play. If you cannot muster compassion for yourself and provide the break you need to keep you going, you may need to remember the advice on airplanes that you must look after yourself first so that you remain capable of helping others. It helps to have the flight attendant say that in advance. You have someone to blame when you give yourself oxygen first, because it's the wise thing to do, and you'll not worry about appearing concerned for yourself over those you love. Wouldn't that be nice? Very well, here you go. Thank you for visiting Eliasm.org. I'll be your guide for this hopefully non-stop trip. Please remember to stay healthy and engaged in life, so that you'll be able to look after others. In the event of a water landing or a depressive episode, your friends, family, and fellow Eliza members can be used as flotation devices. We hope you enjoy your trip. We know you had lots of choices and you're quite the trooper for not grabbing the parachute. Grab a pack of peanuts. The flight attendants will be by with a tiny pillow and a tinier bottle. Valets can help with your bags, just ask. Now, go love everybody, yourself included. That's today's show. Thanks for listening. Drop by Eliasm.org to learn a whole lot more about sexless marriages and what to do about them. Or just find a sympathetic ear. That's I-L-I-A-S-M.org. We're sorry you tuned in, but do it again soon. The intro and outro music is sampled from the instrumental Drown in Thoughts on the album Illusions by X Takerex, whose name I may be butchering. Available at freemusicarchive.org. This episode of Refused is not brought to you by the Children's Television Workshop, but it is brought to you by the letter H. H as in helpful, hope, and hero.
Thanks, H. The best letter friend a podcast could ever have. So long. You're not alone. It'll be okay. I need a better sign-off. We hope you enjoy your trip. We know you had lots of choices, and you're quite the trooper for not gab. Oh, so close.